a swift victory for marijuana in the state Senate. New Yorkers can now legally possess three ounces of pot. The majority of arrests of mar for marijuana were very clearly people of color. This is a loaded gun ready to be fired. Green market is open, man. We, we're going to have so much fun with it. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporter every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome, everybody, to the Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Gorgiulo, in for David Ushery. Marijuana, it's always been one of New York's most available drugs, but still one that could get you into trouble if you were caught buying, selling, or smoking it. No more, though. Eyes right, 40, nays 23. The bill is passed. This week, New York became the 16th state to legalize recreational marijuana, and it's praised for ending prosecutions that disproportionately impacted communities of color. The reason why marijuana is illegal is because of its association with specific communities, particularly communities like mine, people who look like me. The majority of arrests of mar for marijuana were very clearly people of color in the city and, and in the state of New York. And so giving access to those who have been disproportionately affected was a huge part of this bill. But it's also criticized as a reckless move that's gonna bring pot out into the open in your neighborhood. Two years ago, New York State decriminalized cannabis, but people could still technically be fined for smoking or carrying pot. With the stroke of Governor Cuomo's pen, that all changed. New Yorkers can now legally possess three ounces of pot. New Yorkers can legally smoke a joint wherever tobacco is allowed but they cannot yet legally buy cannabis because dealers need licenses. Green market is open, man. We, we're gonna have so much fun with it. This is a total disaster. I'm gonna say it again. This is a loaded gun ready to be fired. And will legal pot be a jackpot for New York's COVID stress budget? We're gonna hear from an expert as to whether other states are making the money they predicted from taxing marijuana sales. Only in New York, do we talk about smoking pot as an economic revival? This is, this is absurd. New York's law goes into effect immediately, but it's likely going to be anywhere from a year to two years before the rules are finalized, applications for licenses are approved, and dispensaries are able to open their doors for legal sales. So will that transform your neighborhood, or is it going to be like having any other retail store open? Let's talk to somebody who knows. Marshall Zellinger is an award-winning investigative reporter for our sister station, KUSA in Denver, Colorado, where recreational marijuana has been legal since 2012. Hey, Marshall, thanks for joining us. We looked at the financial projections and some of the legal ramifications, but we really want to know, what is it like to live with legal pot? You guys in Colorado have been doing that since, what, 2012. Uh, what's it like? What's it like is it's a hard question now because for so long we've been living with it as just another thing in the law. And so it's it kind of blends in the background. When it started and you started to see marijuana dispensaries showing up on street corners and in shopping centers and complexes, it, it was a little jarring that you'd see that green cross, kind of like a red cross, but a green cross indicating this is a pot shop. They started to pop up like, as often as a McDonald's or a Starbucks and that you noticed. But now years later, I drive, you know, on a, on a way to work or anywhere and you could drive by a dozen of them and not even blink an eye because it just blends into the scenery. 
Okay, but so now here's the question that many people are asking in New York. Is this like having the wine shop on the corner or is it like having the head shop on the corner? It depends on the neighborhood and it depends where. State by state, the restrictions can vary. But yeah, I mean, they are in prominent areas. They are on the corner of a popular shopping center. They could be like that wine shop on the corner. They could also just be in the center, blending in with the shopping center that you don't realize, oh, we've got a Trader Joe's over here. We've got a Starbucks, you get a pop <laughs> shop, something like that. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's just, it's, it's one of those things we're trying to get used to here. How has this changed the relationship between people, people you know. So, I mean, is it you go to the backyard barbecue now and instead of people sitting around with a, a beer and, and someone else has got, you know, a, a, a wine cooler, that there's that and then there's other people sharing a joint. Well, so uh, having gone to the University of Colorado Boulder, uh, okay. it's not like it didn't exist when I was in college. Uh, and you'd go to parties and you'd see people sneak off somewhere and disappear and come back and they'd have that that smell of, of marijuana about them. I've been to barbecues, like you just mentioned, and hey, do you want food? Do you want a beer? And hey, over here, I've got a jar of a joint if you want one, or I've got gummies if you'd like a gummy. It's very open, at least in some of the parties I've been at, where before it was maybe more, hey, where'd those people go? And then they went to go do something that now they'll do out in the open. And, okay, and then people would say, all right, so uh, I, you know, I go over to my neighbor's house and I've got my kids and they're in the pool and people are smoking pot there. And I, I just see there would be an area for concern among some people. Yeah, it's true. It's a different generation. I went to NYU. People smoke pot in Washington Square Park like it was going out of style. But um, and still do likely. But uh, if there's still something about that idea of, you know, here's a, a, a couple, here's two people and, and you're all adults in your 30s or 40s or whatever. And, and you're smoking pot at a party. But you say people have gotten used to that. Yeah, uh, not having kids yet. I, I, I'm not in the scenarios where I would see parents necessarily what their activities are. So mm -hmm. I'm still in the the older group of what you might think of like college kids, like we're getting together, yeah. we're having drinks, we're chatting, we're, right. we're eating, we're, it's like a Super Bowl party, but just not during the Super Bowl. It's, it's likely happening. Um, but the, the question is the safety uh, and what, what lawmakers, at least in Colorado, have determined like safe levels mm -hmm. of detectable marijuana in your system or a safe edible dose. It's like a serving size. So if you're mm -hmm. having like a gummy or a chocolate, like there is an edible dose that's like, this is the safe amount for what you're seeking. Mm -hmm. Is that any different than having a drink and being around a family setting? That's that's something I think uh, each individual might have to decide for themselves. Let's talk about some of the societal things. Is there a new class now of marijuana millionaires who jumped in, got these dispensaries, and now they're the entrepreneurial class uh, in Colorado? There definitely are people who who benefited from being one of the first states to legalize marijuana and start a business practice on it. There are still plenty of restrictions about money and a cash industry. Credit unions are getting involved to get some of the cash out of the business. You, our lawmakers in Congress are still trying to figure out how you can do safe banking at an everyday bank so that, you know, we don't have bagfuls of cash in a store. But there are definitely people who were on the front end of this that, that knew the industry, whether it's something they, they were just very familiar with pot smoking uh, throughout their lives, or they just have good business practices where they're like, oh, I see an opportunity 
here's how we can benefit from it. There are people I use as sources for stories that I know they have done very well from this industry, uh, but they are also at risk because it is such a cash heavy industry that when it was legalized and you had to come with cash, there are burglaries and robberies of pot shops because people know that is a cash industry and so right. it could be an easy target, but there are security cameras, bars on the doors, it's almost like entering a school because they buzz you in um, from doing stories there. I know they have to buzz you in to get past a certain point. So there are plenty of security measures in place. But, yeah, it's it's a bit of a target. We see another question is uh, some of the critics of uh, legalizing recreational marijuana have said this is going to lead to a whole new host of problems law enforcement wise, not just from high drivers, but you can have high drivers now. Uh, but uh, from just the that you're going to get a higher crime rate from having more of these dispensaries around. Has that proven to be the case in Colorado? So I, I wanted to be accurate with this. There was a study done by the Colorado Department of Public Safety from 2018 found, and I'm scrolling through it, that uh, marijuana, so you have the marijuana uh, crimes that went down because marijuana was legalized. So you're no longer arresting simply for simple possession of marijuana. From a traffic standpoint, you had to increase the number of officers who could recognize drug use. So there was more mm -hmm. training and you could argue that more training meant more detection, DUI citation. So many people think DUI is alcohol, but it's alcohol, prescription drugs, marijuana, any kind of drug. Uh, that went down according to the Colorado State Patrol from 2013 to 2017, the number of DUI citations went down, but the prevalence of marijuana in a DUI went up a few percentage points in that time frame. Uh, one thing that does stick out is that the number of fatalities in a, a fatal crash went up. Uh, so the way they phrased it, the number of fatalities with cannabinoid only positive drivers increased from 55 to 139 over five years. So almost three times the number of fatal crashes involving a pot positive driver, but the number of deaths in which a driver tested positive above the legal limit for pot in your system went down over a certain period of time. So it, it's a bit conflicting on that. And, and again, is it because more people are using or you're able to, or you're looking for it now because officers are more, are more trained to detect it? In New York State, they're estimating they can make as much as $350 million a year from this. I'm not going to ask you to find the figures, but I'm going to ask you if uh, this, once you put all the layers of administration in, once you put all the layers of enforcement in, once you put all the layers of inspection in, does the state make money on this thing? Oh, the state makes hand over fist money, but where it goes is not where people think it goes. One of the most popular questions we get in the newsroom years later, <laughs> what about the pot tax? People think that the pot money was supposed to go to schools. And that was part of the campaign that legalized marijuana and schools will benefit. But what people maybe overlooked or forgot is that it was very specific funding for schools. And it's about, I think it's 40 to 60 million, something like that, that goes toward school construction, mainly for rural school districts that have more trouble funding, upgrading their facilities. This money, you could apply for a grant from that fund that then upgrades your school, gets better security measures, brings a 1900 schoolhouse into, you know, 2021 standards. 
that's where some of that money goes. But a lot of it, like you said, it goes toward enforcement. It goes toward education campaigns. So yes, the money is there. But state by state, it depends on how lawmakers said it was going to be spent in the first place. Final question for you is really the issue that we've dealt with the most in New York State, which is this was presented to New Yorkers, not as, hey, we're going to make money off of this. But they're saying this is going to redress some of the worst disproportionate policing that's gone on. It's impacted communities of color. People have gotten arrested. They go to jail. You get a record. You get maybe felony condition, uh, conviction if you're dealing. And this makes it hard to get a job, hard to get a mortgage, hard to, to live your life. That's what one of the promises is of legalized recreational marijuana to address some of those, to change some of those. Has that been the case in Colorado? Absolutely. Whether it's by the state or cities. I know the city of Denver went back in, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so. They made it so people could get marijuana-related offenses taken off their record. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of that was, so, like you said, so that someone could apply for a job and not have to check the box about having a, you know that crime on their record. So you're you're going backwards because of this and you're eliminating things that stood in the way of people moving forward in their lives, moving forward in their careers. I, I want to tell you two quick things that might Please. be interesting to you that stood out to me. Of course. One is um, one is a regret that I've heard from people who started marijuana in Colorado. Okay. And that regret, which I don't think New York can fulfill now, is studying student use of marijuana before legalization to compare stats after. And they did, I mean, if for every state that legalizes it, if they haven't been studying it by now, you might also have that same regret because it's not going to be very simple to say, are kids using it more now if you weren't studying it then? Right. Uh, and then one unintended, I, I think this was something that people weren't expecting, maybe I'm naive, um, drug sniffing dogs had to be retrained because if oh, you have they, to lose that 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 uh, yep right if they could detect marijuana it's possible that they, that that evidence wouldn't be allowed because they are now detecting a legal substance right so, so if there's marijuana and cocaine in, on a suspect and they were they were there because of course the dog can't tell you but it was because of marijuana you got to throw out the cocaine perhaps, that, perhaps. there you go that's one of the technical things okay Marshall I want to thank you it's been fascinating to talk to you and really learn from the on the ground and we thank you very much uh, well thanks for having me well the question is will pot pay off and to answer that we want to talk to alexandria zhang of the pew charitable trust she was part of a research team that put together a report entitled, Can Revenue from Legalized Recreational Marijuana Help States Close Budget Gaps? Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. All right. So I'm going to ask you the big question. Uh, does pot pay off? Yeah, the answer to that is pretty complicated. Um, the market in each state is very unique. That obviously depends on the tax rates that policymakers decide on, the regulations, um, as well as uh, you know the size of the black market, whether neighboring states might have already legalized. And for New York, New Jersey has already legalized. And so there are a lot of factors that go into estimating how much revenue the state will bring in and how quickly. One of the factors really is, is that we're in uncharted territory because it's hard to estimate what a market that in so many states has been done illegally 
is now going to bring in legally because the businesses don't operate the same. You don't operate a legal business the way you operate an illegal business, if, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And we've certainly seen states learning lessons on how quickly businesses can get set up. Obviously, there are licensing requirements in each state. And Oregon, for example, found that they actually encountered a, ba a backlog of applications at the beginning, which significantly slowed down the supply into the market. Businesses, of course, are also impacted by, by tax rates. So the legal market really is, is a different beast. Well, let's look at the experience of a couple of the different states that you profile in your own study, because there were some states where revenues exceeded what they thought they were going to make other ones where they did make quite the amount of money they thought they were going to make. Isn't that been pretty much the case? Forecasting recreational marijuana tax revenue is very challenging, as we've found. And that is primarily because there's a lack of historical data. The markets are so new. The first states legalized sales in 2012 and didn't start sales until 2014. And so we only have a few years of information. We saw estimates really vary. California and Nevada are really interesting examples of how large that margin of error can be. So in the first six months of sales, California's actual collections came in at 40% below estimates, while Nevada's came in at 40% above estimates. And okay. Quite <laughs> a swing there. Exactly. Right. I mean, the fascinating thing about this, you know, as someone who's grown up here in New York State is the state is talking about actually encouraging and really helping to develop this industry. And the industry happens to be selling legal marijuana. I don't know. I know that sounds crazy, but it seems very different from saying, well, we're going to foster the development of grocery stores. But really, you're talking about developing an industry. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what's interesting to know is in most of the states so far, recreational marijuana has been legalized through ballot initiatives. Mm -hmm. And of course, that leaves the more complicated tasks for policymakers and state officials to figure out um, how to tax the products as well as how to regulate the market. Right. And we did it differently here in New York State, where the legislature has put this together and put together all the different aspects of it. So in some ways, would that put New York ahead of the curve in terms of developing the industry? What we've seen from other states is they may have very quickly set up their markets um, and made some, some quick decisions around regulations and taxing, but have certainly seen mixed results and are still collecting the data and the experience about what makes the market run most smoothly. So really, what's fascinating about the study that you guys did is you're studying an industry as it develops, because as you point out, each of these states is just experimenting with us over a couple of years, and they're trying to figure out what the market charges, how much tax to charge, how to tax, because it's fascinating the different ways things are taxed. It's much more complicated than just saying you buy a carton of milk and this is what the state taxes on that. That's right. And it is costly and complicated to administer and collect tax revenue generally. And what we saw in Washington state, for example, is they did want to commit to taxing marijuana at different parts of the supply chain um, and have different tiers of taxation, but then ultimately decided that that would be too difficult to implement. And so they distilled that into one excise tax rate. 
So now, again, as a native New Yorker, I've been through this before in the sense that when I was younger, uh, we started lotteries and we said the lotteries are going to help pay for education. Then we had off-track betting. We said, oh, off-track betting is also going to help the state because people are gambling. These are all sin taxes, right? Uh, taxes on alcohol, taxes on horse racing, taxes on the lottery. And now we've come to legal marijuana. One estimate is the state is putting at their revenue between potential revenue between 300 and $350 million. But New York is also a state that takes in about $80 billion a year <laughs> in various taxes. So is, it, is the bottom line in your study that we have to look at this and put it in a certain perspective? It's not going to change the way, it's not going to change the tax structure in New York and suddenly have this huge pot of gold, if you forgive my phrasing there, <laughs> this huge revenue stream. It, it'll be significant, but it's not by itself a game changer likely. Yeah, certainly no one's going to scoff at millions of dollars. Right, but, of course. <laughs> but the bigger takeaway is that the uh, revenue in terms of the share of a state's total budget is a very small percentage. And so it's certainly not a silver bullet in terms of, for example, closing budget gaps. So when you look at this in the sum total, what do you think this is going to mean for New York State, say in the next five, say it takes two years or saying it could take anywhere from one to two years to really get this up and running. So if I were to give you a call uh, on, on my iPhone 15 three years from now, um, what do you think we'll find in terms of revenue from legal marijuana sales uh, in New York based on the research you've done? What we found in other states is it does take the market a while to mature. Um, and again, that depends on various different factors that are going on within the market in a state. Um, to give you some perspective, Colorado brought in about $387 million in calendar year 2020. Um, however, because they began legal sales in 2014, it's taken them, you know, about seven years to get to that point. Um, mm. So right now, it's, it's really just an unknown. It is an unknown, but is it, we are in uncharted territory, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. Alexandra, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for bringing us the expertise of your study with Pew Charitable Trust, and we really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. The arguments are going to continue, but the debate, that's now over. Recreational pot is legal in New York, bringing even more changes to a state already transformed by a worldwide pandemic. We want to thank you for listening, and I want to thank our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Michael Gargiulo. We'll check you out the next time on The Debrief. 